And this is one thing that's absolutely true. You are happier chasing the goal and moving forward towards the goal mm-hmm. and making progress towards the goal than you are actually achieving the goal. Human beings need to be making progress, okay? So as long as you are going like this and you're always moving forward, you will be the happiest that you can be. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Entrepreneur, Daniel DiPiazza, checking in with you here. So happy to have you. So delighted to have the opportunity to do another show. and. Today is a Throwback Thursday, so this is an episode with my friend James Swanick. I believe this episode is from 2017, and this, what I love so much about James is that he is just a vibrant connector of people. I can count on multiple hands and toes how many people James has introduced me to or who has connected me to in some way uh, that has changed my life. He is someone who's fun to be around. He is a really interesting person as well. Not only was he or is he a successful entrepreneur, but he also at one point was an anchor on ESPN Sports Center. He, he really understands how to capture the attention of people. And he's one of the hardest workers that I know. His, uh, his business Swanick Sleep has gone on to be very successful with their uh, with their e-commerce company that does all types of different sleep products, including glasses, which you've probably seen me wear and lots of other people wear those amber glasses. And he also started a whole movement around the 30-day no alcohol challenge. And uh, th- when this episode was uh, recorded, he probably wasn't anywhere near where he is now with that challenge. Now that challenge has exploded into a massive uh, success. And so you'll get to see kind of just the beginning of that movement here. Um, and, and when you actually go and, and research him, you'll see, wow, this is really, really uh, blossomed. So it's such a, tri- a treat to uh, to see the beginning of that movement. And so, and for that reason, I definitely think James is part of the new wave. You think he, he was on that wave real early, you know, in terms of uh, people being not necessarily averse to alcohol, but realizing that it's more damaging than I think our parents or their grandparents, you know, thought. And uh, same thing with tobacco over the years. And I think that that, that there's a, a somewhat of a woke movement around alcohol. And it's a good thing because honestly, it's it's pretty, uh, it's pretty damaging. You know, I'm all for like partying down a little bit and having fun. And it's not that I never drink, but I just feel like in general, it, it's not that good for you. And there are a lot of benefits to uh, going on a cleanse if you haven't already. If you're uh, someone who drinks a lot, you know, going on a cleanse. And and uh, James talks about kind of some of the benefits and some of the processes of just uh, taking a break from alcohol and all that that can bring you. So definitely worth tuning into. And actually, that's a good point to make that when you reduce your intake of alcohol, you're adding to your performance. You're gonna improve your performance in life and in business. And if you're interested in learning how to perform better, we have a workshop around that. It's called the Peak Performance Workshop. It's uh, live March 4th and 5th, and it's all for professionals and entrepreneurs who want to improve their productivity, create better habits, become more focused and clear, develop uh, better a sense of how to execute on your goals and uh, get a lot more done this year than ever before. And if you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com, you can take advantage of the early bird, early bird uh, tickets to this. So it's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak, and you can get $100 off for your ticket. Plus, you get a buddy pass to bring a friend or family member of your choice. So make sure you check that out, newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash peak. And uh, I look forward to seeing everyone there. We're only doing 100 tickets to this presentation. And uh, if you miss the 4th or the 5th, you can stream it at your leisure. Um, so don't worry. Okay, so that's all I got to say for that. Uh, I'll catch you on the other side, and we'll check in with James uh, enjoy this throwback episode, and I'll see you on another one. Coming up today on the Rich 20-something podcast, Daniel DiPiazza interviews me, James Swanick, on life and success.
right, welcome to the uh, the Rich Twenty Something Podcast. We're back with my friend James Swanick, and we're matching today with our glasses, at least. We are. Um, they look so, good on you too. Thank you so much. So James just gave me. A, okay, so just a quick backstory. If you guys haven't watched, I don't know what episode. What is episode? Anyone know what episode this is? Is it like seven or eight? You can talk, oh, Matt. This is, this is seven. Six was the one you guys were. Talking okay, so this is seven. Episode six is with our mutual friend Mark, and Mark talked a lot about uh, sleeping, sleep habits, and nutrition, and total body optimization. And he talked about these blue blocking glasses. And James has a company that makes these glasses, and now I'm wearing them, and I don't think I'm going to take them off. I'm glad, uh, man. Pretty like if you guys, I don't want to, you know, pimp this too much. What's the where can I get these? Yeah, if you go to SwanwickSleep.com, yeah, you can grab them there. Um, follow it on Instagram as well, Swanwick Sleep, S W A N W I C K Sleep. This is like blatant yeah, product placement, right at the beginning. I'm wearing it. No, the thing is, if you take these glasses off, the whole world looks a lot harsher. Really, it's it's nice. It's a joy to wear yeah. this. Okay, okay. Let, let, let's get to the let's get to the actual. Let's get to the nitty gritty now. No nitty-gritty. more plugs. <laughs> no more plugs. Um, all right, James. Where where do we where do we meet? We met. We've known each other for maybe two years now. Yeah, I think we were introduced via Manish Sethi, ah, yeah. the creator Manish. of Pavlok, who yes. is, is a good friend of ours. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like I'm always wearing my friends' things. I have a Manish's tattoo on my arm. I'm wearing <laughs> your glasses. Like this is becoming a trend. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with. Like I just take a little piece of all my friends. Well, you've surrounded yourself with the top people, yeah, Daniel. You know, it's obviously top rubbing top. off on you. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, so Manish introduced us, and then depends on how long you've been watching this podcast or reading my stuff or following me, but I actually did an interview with with James when I was working at this show called Lip TV. And um and we talked a little bit uh, on that on that broadcast about his his beginnings. But a, a lot of you guys haven't seen that. So I want to take it back and rewind a little bit. And uh, James is a is a former ESPN sports center anchor and he has an incredible story about how he got to that point. Um, and I just want to get a little bit of background on you, James, and kind of like how you got to this point. Sure. Well, I'm Australian, as you can tell from my funny accent. What? Yeah, I know. Crazy. No. I was thinking British, <laughs> obviously from Scotland, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I was I grew up in Brisbane, Australia, and I was a, a newspaper reporter journalist um, from age 17 through 23. Kind of hustled my way into a copy boy position when I was 17 and then, you know, went through the ranks. 23, I moved over to London, was a sports journalist there, moved to Los Angeles in 2003 and started interviewing uh, movie stars, celebrity like celebrities like Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Tom Cruise, and started you know sending those interviews back to Australia and England all, all over the world. Created a PR company, lost that in 2008, 2009, when the whole world, financial world went into Armageddon. You know, went out down to Argentina and Colombia and the Spanish-speaking oh, countries. Oh, you make it sound so cool. Everything is just so breezy for you. Well, Hang on, I did run away to Argentina after I lost my PR company, okay. so it was like more it was like, like I was going there to lick my wounds. It wasn't a vacation. Well, was. I mean, it was a voca- vacation, but it was more like just get me out of this life. I gotta go and just chill out and try to learn some Spanish and dance with some Spanish-speaking girls. That still seems a little bit. <laughs> it still seems pretty pretty breezy, but okay. And then, yeah, 2010, I became a sports center anchor on ESPN. I also quit drinking alcohol. No I wasn't. Big deal. Yeah. I wasn't a big drinker, but I just decided to. To quit for 30 days, I felt amazing. And then I just continued on. And, you know, now I'm very much focused on my health and optimizing my life and productivity and been living in this fine country for 12 years and long may it continue. Didn't you, uh, didn't you like officially become a, a dual citizen recently? I did. Yeah. Two years ago. It was pretty uh, funny at yeah. the ceremony. They make you, um, they make you renounce your, your, Renou- your, I thought your you were a dual citizen though. No, I am a dual citizen. Well, hang on. In the eyes of Australia, my native country, I am definitely Australian, but in the eyes of the American government, <laughs> I'm only American. So in this, in this naturalization ceremony, they make you stand up and say this thing. And part, one of the lines is I hereby renounce my, my citizenship to my native country. <laughs> and I, as I, I said this, I had my fingers crossed behind my back. I'm like, I'm not giving up Australia that easy. Psych. Yeah. That's um that's that's very American. I feel like that's extremely American of us. Yeah, I know. It's right like now. you are no longer Australian. Yeah. You're now one of us and one of you us. Pledge only. allegiance yes. to the flag. That's if you if you've actually like recite the American pledge and you really think about it, it's kinda of creepy. It is. But but I tell you, I, I did pledge allegiance to the flag, That's but right. I also continued to pledge allegiance to my Australian heritage. Do they? Is there like an Australian pledge? Well, no, there isn't. No, because no. I was born in Australia. It's not, oh, you mean if you go in yeah, there and you, become a citizen? 
Yeah, I think you just got to rattle off like the, the Australia's greatest sports athletes and name them and what or how many runs they scored in cricket. If you can get that right, they go, yeah, you're one of us. <laughs> got- or they'll give us, it'll give you six beers and go, if you can drink six exactly. beers in an you're hour, in. you're one of us. Did, well, but they don't have like a thing that like like school kids do every morning. Is that just an American thing? Oh uh, well, yeah. They at school assembly they'll play the Australian national anthem and raise the flag. Sure. You guys do like like we have to do this whole thing. We're like hand on our hearts every morning since starting at five years old. I pledge allegiance to yeah. the flag. We're not as we're not as uh, strict it's, on it's that. Fucking cultish. And if you don't, there have been a lot of instances where if you don't do it, people get really upset. Yeah. Like, and if you put the, the American flag on the ground, don't it's ever like, do that. It's like the worst thing never, ever. Right? Never. I mean, there people will come out in their Ford F one fifties and they will just they'll just terrorize you. It's a you fascinating know? thing, isn't it? I mean, it's good marketing. I'll tell you. It's, yeah. It's the, the American government is doing a great job at marketing the wonders that is America. Because even, like, even, <laughs> like, did you watch that TV show, The Newsroom? With, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, in the, the opening scene of that whole series, Jeff Daniels is, plays this anchor. He just rips into America, right? And he says, we're like, um, who says America is the greatest country in the world? We're like seventh in, in uh, literacy. We're like, the fattest nation on earth. Uh, we, we owe like more money than any other civilized nation known to man. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. And everyone's like, oh my God. That's a re- yeah. Oh my God. And oh my God, it's not American. But it's true and it's fact. And this, but let me say this this country is amazing and it's been so good to me and I love it unreservedly. But the American government does a terrific job at feeding Americans that. America is the greatest country sure. in the world. And it, and it isn't an, on many levels. On many levels, it really is not. On some levels, it absolutely is. But marketing, great job, American government. I feel, I feel like America is one of those football dads who was like a high school or a college superstar. And then, you know, like eventually he slowly got a little bit older and fatter, but he was still talking about the glory days. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he could still even bust the move once in a while. But, you know, like we know. We know that China is getting older and, you know, into adolescence now. We know that other countries are well surpassing. You know? Yeah, but I still get chills when I when I sing the Star Spangled Banner. No, you don't. I, I really do. Really? Australia has an awful anthem. It's not very, you know, it doesn't get stir your emotions. But the Star Spangled Banner, absolutely. God Save the Queen and the Marseillais. Uh, is it the Marseillais? The, what's the French na- national anthem? Allons au fond de la patrie, le jeu know. de quoi est arrivé. I think it's the Marseillais or something. I don't know. Anyway. I mean, black people get chills for the Star Spangled Banner too, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly different reasons. We were also naturalized. Uh, at least half of my family was. You know, one of your stories I like the most, um, and I think that people can relate to, you had this period of time where you just moved from, I think because you, you moved from Brisbane to London to the States, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was this period of time where... Um, you were in a in a hostel in Redondo, was it or, or Hermosa? Hermosa Beach, yeah. So Hermosa Beach is um, it's in California here, and James had just moved to the states, and you were because you made it sound really people fucking hate when you're like, oh, I just moved here, I started interviewing celebrities, and then everything was good. I started a PR company, we made a couple million dollars. Then I was a little sick of that. So into Argentina, people don't relate to that shit. Like they, I want to know about the nitty gritty struggle. You were in the you were in the hostel, and things weren't working. What was going on with that? So yeah, you want to know the struggle? Yeah. Okay, well let me tell you, the struggle started about a month before I left London when my girlfriend broke up with me. Oh okay, and that was really the trigger and the catalyst for me to come to America in okay. the first. This place. This is what we want with you. Give us the emotion. <laughs> anyway, I had to get out of London. I was like, oh, man, I'm so depressed over this girl. So I flew to Lo- to Los Angeles on September 30th, 2002. You remember it. I do okay. remember it because it was the Australian Rules uh, Grand Final night, <laughs> the Australian Football League Grand Final night. And I flew in and I went to, a, to the Cock and Bull pub on Lincoln down there in Santa Monica. I know exactly where that is. And uh, I went in, it was full of Australians, right? Because they're all Australian expats in Los Angeles, all watching this Australian- I pass the- every day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I went in there and I just made some new friends, Aussie friends. And these two guys said, oh, there's a party down in Hermosa Beach tomorrow. You should come down. I said, okay. Now that night I was sleeping in the Santa Monica hostel paying 15 bucks a night. Anyway, I went down to Hermosa Beach. It's about 40 minutes south of Los Angeles Airport. Mm. I checked into the Surf City Hostel, which is right on Pier Avenue there on, on the beach. 
And I went into a bunk bed with six other snoring backpackers from around the world where I lived for the next 90 days and 90 nights, paying 15 bucks a night. A long time. I worked on a job site up in Bel Air with these um, Australians who, who paid me $75 cash a day. And during that time, I was like, how the hell am I going to live in this country long term? Like, how am I going to make this happen? So what I figured out was I'd been a journalist, I'd been a reporter, Hollywood and Los Angeles is where all the celebrities are. Let's figure out a way that I can interview movie stars and make a living from it. So what I did was I reached out to all these movie studios, Sony Pictures, uh, Fox, uh, Warner Brothers, and I just cold called them, literally just cold called them and said, hey, I'm a journalist. Uh, I want to come and uh, interview movie stars. How do I do it? One uh, publicist from Sony Pictures returned my call and invited me to come in to the studio. That's and, super rare. Uh, very rare. And meet with her. Her name was Anna Whelan in the, in the uh, publicity department. I went in there and she told me how it all worked. She told me, this is, you need to get a magazine who'll publish your story. You need to prove that you'll be able to get lots of readers who'll read the interview. This is how it works. And I went, great. So anyway, two weeks later, I'm come back from my job site. I'm all dusty and dirty from, you know, working on the job site. I, I'm in the hostel foyer and there's an internet machine. And, and it's one of those old machines internet machine. where you stick a dollar in and it gives you seven minutes of internet time. Do you remember this? This yeah, is like yeah. 2002. Not that long ago, actually. It wasn't that long yeah, ago. Yes. And I get an email from this woman, Anna at Sony Pictures. And she says, hi, James, it's Anna. We met two weeks ago. I've got an opportunity for you to interview Jack Nicholson next week for the movie Anger Management. Would you movie. be interested? And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah, I'd be interested. <laughs> and two weeks later, literally, I went from the job site in Bel Air. I borrowed the the the, the construction van from my colleague, <laughs> drove down to the Armitage Hotel in Beverly Hills on Burton Way. I went into the bathroom in the foyer level. I sort of splashed some water on, put a nice shirt, shirt on and some other pants, went up to the penthouse suite and I sat down with Jack Nicholson for 20 minutes and interviewed him about his life. Life, his career and it was amazing and that was the beginning of me interviewing movie stars for about the next six years that's amazing you know the thing i like about that is that obviously i mean you didn't even have a, you didn't even have, even have family here so what what that kind of says to me is that all of us have the opportunity to have a sort of like a lucky break mm -hmm. it's not like um because because when you talk about your success now, people will say, well, yeah, but he had all these things preceding it that makes it easy for him. But but even in the beginning, if you really assert yourself, you can make your own luck in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was, I want to live in this country. I've got to find the way. I'm not waiting around for something to happen. I'm going to make this happen. So I literally just like, how can I do this? Where do I start? Okay, I'm going to start by making a plan. I'm going to call Fox, Sony, Warner Brothers, Universal, DreamWorks, and I'm just going to call and say, who do I talk to about this? Yeah. Wait for someone to put you through. Try and convince the other person on the line. One person called me back, Sony Pictures. That's all it took. That's all it took. Yeah. And then because I managed to get that interview with Jack Nicholson, I had to wait. I had to do the interview. had to type it up. I had to send it off to this magazine in England called Loaded Magazine, which is kind of like a British version of, of Maxim, if you like, right? I had to wait two months for them to actually publish the article and then I had to wait another month for them to send the magazine to me in Los Angeles yeah. so I could then walk it up to the Kinko's on Pacific Coast Highway, <laughs> photocopy it 20 times, and then send it out to the studios that did not return my call, Fox, Warner Brothers, Universal, and say, hey, I interviewed Jack Nicholson for Sony Pictures. Here's my article. Would you like me to interview your stars and promote, promote uh, you know, your movies? Next thing I know, I've got Universal on the phone saying, hey, would you like to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger for Terminator 3, which was his final movie yeah. that he did before he became uh, governor. the governor. Then I had that published. Then it was like, oh, can you interview Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston for the movie Along Came Polly? And then it just kind of snowboarded from there. Yeah. Now, I was still doing the construction work for 75 bucks cash a day <laughs> for like three, four, five months after I did that until that time where yeah. I started to get paid, I started to get the ball rolling. Then I said, I'm not going up to Bel Air to do that crap anymore. Now I'm going to do this. And then I became, you know, full-time celebrity interviewer. That's that, that's so cool because I think that it's easy to underestimate the power of having one connection. We were talking earlier before we started shooting about me doing this whole book deal thing. Mm. And even, even in that experience, it's been just one or two key connections that have led from me having no influence or anything to me getting a six-figure book deal. Yeah. It's just like, it's like one or two key conversations. Yeah. You don't need to have like a network of a bunch of shitty people. You just need like one or two good people in your network. You really do. <laughs> I mean, it's good to it's good to go out there and and I don't like the word network. I like the yeah, word yeah, connect. Yeah. Like I, I like to go out there and connect. It's good to connect with a lot of people, but the quality or the caliber of the conversation or the relationship you have is far superior to knowing just a lot of people. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing. 
the person who ultimately leads to the breakthrough for the most part, isn't a really close friend or someone you've got an amazing relationship with. A lot of times it's just an acquaintance. Yeah. It's someone that you just had a had good rapport yeah. with on one occasion. Yeah. Someone liked you. you. You got into a conversation for five, 10 minutes, maybe an hour, whatever. And then you called him up and said, hey, I remember you were, you were working in, in book publishing. Who was that literary agent that, that you worked with? Oh, Christy, you should talk to Christy. I'll connect you. Thank you so much. That'd be great. How can I help you? Well, you know what? I'm trying to um, lose a little bit of weight at the moment as an example. Oh, you know what? My friend Mark Dahmer, who has this amazing program, I should connect you with him. Maybe you'd be interested in that. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. The rule of reciprocity comes in, right? One thing we know about human psychology is that, you know, when someone does a favor for someone, we instinctively want to do a favor mm -hmm. back for that person. Absolutely. So in anything in life, it doesn't mean that you need to know 100 people to get ahead. You only need to know one person. As long as you are genuine and you're connecting with that person and you're trying to help that other person, they're always going to want to help you. And that's where you'll get the breakthrough. That's that's such a good insight. And I'm wondering now, you were really <clears throat> like very hungry when you came to the States and you wanted to make things happen for yourself. Do you find that as you get more success, you get less hungry and or it gets harder to like reach really hard for your goals. No, I, I think if anything, I'm hungrier. Hungrier. Yeah. It's, 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 um, you know, I'm, I'm in a really interesting phase now where I've, I've just kind of broken the back of online marketing and selling, um, information products and really helping people. And the more success I get, the more success I want to get. And the, 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 the higher my, my goals become. So if you can help one person, all of a sudden you then want to help five people. Then you want to help 10 That's and true. 100 and 200 and so forth, right? You get one Instagram follower and then you want to get 5,000. Yeah, yeah. Then you go, I really want to get to 10,000. And then you get to 10,000. You're like, like, not enough. It's not enough. I need yeah. 12,000 tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> There's no, it's, 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 but almost that, it's almost annoying. It's almost annoying sometimes for me personally to never be 100% fulfilled. It's, it's a really annoying. tough situation because I had this conversation with a good friend of mine a while ago, which was every win that you have, like every goal you see, so every win is also a loss, which sucks because you get to that point, right? And then you're like, hmm, now I've got to go again. What's the next goal? Yeah. So you lost the satisfaction of having a goal to achieve because you just achieved it. Correct. And the the intensity and the allure is always for me at the highest point right before i achieve what i want right like when i was at on instagram 99.9 yeah i'm excited yeah, hundred thousand. Yeah. then i get to 100 i'm like eh. <laughs> i know, you know it's ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous it? but you know what's interesting there's a great book called the happiness hypothesis I, by jonathan I haven't, Hunt. I haven't read it yet it's it's amazing it's probably in my top three books and he says uh, they've done all these studies of the brain of people's happiness over time and this is one thing that's absolutely true you are happier chasing the goal and moving forward towards the goal mm -hmm. and making progress towards the goal than you are actually achieving the goal. Human beings need to be making progress, okay? So as long as you are going like this and you're always moving forward, you will be the happiest that you can be. If you're moving forward, then you achieve the goal and then, you, then you're stuck there. Even if it's a million dollars, right? Let's just use an example. And yeah. you've got there and you stay like that, your, your happiness level will go down. In fact, they've also proven like if uh, uh, people who win the lottery, they say they win $10 million yeah. um, and someone who becomes a, a quadriplegic, right? Loses the use of their legs in a car crash, for example. Um, they've done studies that six to 12 months after both of those, those events happen, the, uh, both of those party uh, resort back to the same level of happiness they had from when the incident happened. Yeah. So you might think that making $10 million or having a huge win is incredible. And yeah, you're going to get a spike, right? You're going to get a spike in your happiness level, but ultimately that's going to come back down again. Likewise, with the, um, with the quadriplegic or the paraplegic, I'm not sure what the right terminology is, but depression for three months, right? But then all of a sudden, now you've got a goal to walk again or to, to at least have a, you know, some kind of comfort. Social life. Or yeah, exactly. You, as long as you're making progress, your happiness level comes back up again. So it's not the goal. It's not achieving the goal that gives you the most happiness. It's the it's as long as you're making progress towards that goal. So just to just to sort of wrap that thought up, the perfect way to live life really is to always be progressing. Uh, in terms of happiness, perfect way is what I mean, and not be so so hell bent on the on achieving or not achieving the goal. Because even when you get that, it doesn't give you this huge explosion awesome. of of satisfaction that you think it does. That's so, it's so weird because um, 
just recently with the, with the whole book thing, mm-hmm. and which I can tell you guys more about later in another podcast, so I can explain the whole process. And we talked about it a little yeah. bit. So, I mean, for years I wanted to do a book and then I got to the point where it was like, it was possible. I got an agent. That was cool. We started doing these meetings. I'm like, this is really going to happen. This might happen. Mm. And the day that I got the, like we closed the deal, I actually felt a little bit sad. Really? Yeah. I was like, I got off the phone. I was like, yeah. And then I, I was actually kind of depressed that day. And like, it was a good amount of money and it was like a big accomplishment. Everyone was like, are you pumped? Are you so excited? I was like, <sighs> you know, and, and I was trying to think in my head, I'm like, well, what I've been, what I feel better now if it was more money or what I feel better now if it was, if it was a, like, if I was already a New York times bestseller, like what would make me feel happy? And I realized it, it was more like the pursuit is very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe that's something that we should realize before we're on our deathbed, right? Like yeah. once you're on your deathbed, you'll probably realize that it was never about the goal. Yeah. You know, so absolutely. maybe start thinking about that now. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with this. I mean, struggle, not the right word, but I go back and forth in my brain about like what gives me the most happiness. And I, sometimes I'll go through a phase where it's like, I don't make enough money. I haven't got enough people following me on Instagram. My 30-day no alcohol challenge isn't big enough yet. I only spoke at Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Conference (laughs) this year. That's not enough. It's not enough. Why haven't I got a TED Talk yet? Versus like you just spoke at Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Conference. You've just changed the lives of hundreds of people to to encourage them to reduce or quit alcohol. You were at 1,000 Instagram followers two months ago, and now you're at 15,000. Yeah. You wake up healthy. Your family's all alive. When is it enough? Like, it's not like I'm I'm a healthy guy. I eat well. I can afford to eat good food. I've got good education. I can read books. Like, this. Is a, <laughs> what else what do I mean? you want? What else do you want? It's like, we're so spoiled. <laughs> we're so spoiled, right? We sleep on a pillow top mattress. The the room is conditioned to the perfect temperature. <laughs> I wake up in the morning. We're a bunch you know? of pussies. Yeah, we're a bunch of pussies. We're actually turning into a bunch of pussies. We used to sleep on rocks, you know, rocks and sticks and cover ourselves with leaves. Now I, now I like... I quibble at, at a water temperature that's too cold in the morning. Ooh, ooh. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. I've been taking cold. I took a cold shower for the first time today. It was miserable. I was fine. It was good. Like I, were you the one who told you, me to do this? You took a cold shower for the first time today? Yeah. Well, I mean, not the first time in my whole life. Right. But like I'm getting, trying to get into it. Yeah. You know? So what I do, maybe yeah. it was Mark Dahmer who told Mark, you about what, it. Mark was telling me about it too. Yeah. A so lot what, of people. what I do is I will get in and I'll start at hot and then I'll go to cold at the end of Wait, it. Wait, were you criticizing me just now when you said- that was your first time. Was that like a critical? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, it really was. Okay. Yeah, because I would have thought that a man of such, you know, productivity <laughs> and insight would have known this. I'm stuff a pussy. Right now. I don't want to do it. It's not fun. You're it's not, not that fun. much of a pussy. I've seen you dead deadlift yeah. 500 pounds. Uh, well, yeah, you check that out. YouTube me. <laughs> um, but but so you, oh, you start hot though. You start hot and go to cold. Well, I've done I've done all kinds. Ben Greenfield is a friend of mine. He's yeah, he's a, a good Ben guy. Greenfield Fitness. He says for for fat loss, the best thing to do is go hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. So you get in the shower, do twenty seconds hot, and then ten seconds That's cold. Too much work. Twenty seconds hot, ten seconds cold. Um, he only takes cold showers all the time, right? Yeah. Tony Robbins, the motivational coach, always takes a cold plunge every morning if he's staying at his place um, to reduce inflammation. It wakes you up. It's it does. Really, really good. I was, I was. You know why it wakes me up? Because I was a little bit angry afterwards. I was like, oh, it's angry. Right. Kind of woke me up. Well, here's the thing. Like, if the best time to take a hot shower <laughs> is at nighttime because then you relax. So you know when you take a steam bath, you're like, oh, you yeah. get really sleepy and you're tired. Good time to take a hot shower is at nighttime. Really but in the morning when you want to wake yourself up and you want to like get all the blood flowing through the system and you want to be energized and fresh, cold water. But it's no fun when you just go cold. I always warm up. To, I always start with warm and then I switch it on to cold for the oh. last like 30 seconds. And then I get out and I feel, oh, yeah, it was good. It's amazing. See, Mark told me, Mark told me to just put it on freezing cold and put your head in there and go. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that works as well. I did that. I Mine's did. only half pussy. <laughs> I was, so I put it on cold this morning. I was... Just trying to get my head in there, trying to figure out how I was going to do it. And I just, oh, I just stepped in. And I was going, ah, and Sarah's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just <laughs> cold water. She thought I was doing something else. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, I think part of it is just like mentally being able to mentally challenge yourself. Yeah. You know, to, to like first thing in the morning, you're already accomplishing your goals. You're, you're tackling obstacles. This is hard. I did this already. Yeah. I can do other things. Well, here, here's some, some little productivity tips I've learned for first thing in the morning. Make your bed first thing in the morning, right? Because oh, it sounds so weird, but there, there's actually a great YouTube video from this Navy SEAL who went back to the University of Texas, which is the Longhorns. Is it the University yeah, of Austin? Yeah, and um, he was uh, saying that the, all the Navy SEALs, the first thing they do in the morning is make their bed. And what that does is that it triggers into your brain a win right away in the first minute, mm-hmm. a success. So now when I wake up, I'll just quickly get up and I'll make my bed, even though I'm like, Ugh. 
And so every time I walk back into my room now, I see the bed made and the visual of that makes, oh, that's a win. Wow, I'm efficient. I'm making already things. already done something. Happen. Exactly. The other thing I do is I put my workout clothes at the end of the bed the night uh, before I go to sleep. So when I wake niche. up in the morning, I see the, the, mm. the view of my clothes there's no way I'm not going to put them on. I have to actually step over them to go and use the bathroom. So there's no way I can't see it. Yeah. So I'll instinctively put my workout clothes on, which 99% of the time will, will make me create the habit of going to the gym, even on those days where I don't really want to go. Which is most days. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I still go, but I just, most mornings I don't wake up and like, oh, I can't wait to work out. Yeah. You know, sometimes I like it, but yeah. like sometimes, sometimes you have to force yourself to go when you don't want to. Well, you know, uh, there's a little hack to that as well because what I get addicted to is not working out in the gym. What I get addicted to is the hour after I've been working out in the gym when the endorphins are flowing through oh, yeah, and yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. eating that breakfast and you're having that drink. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. when I don't want to go to the gym, in my mind, I look forward an hour and a half, two hours to that time and that moment where I've showered, I'm exhausted, but I'm making my breakfast or I'm eating that breakfast or I'm sitting out in the sun having a coffee or whatever it is post-workout yeah. and then i'm imagining like this morning for example like what i got on today right i'm meeting daniel at 11 okay uh, sorry at one i got these other things i want to make sure that when i'm doing that interview i feel amazing so it was a lot easier for me to like go to the gym this morning even though i could have taken a day off and right now i feel amazing i'm still getting the benefits of those endorphins it's true yeah i mean even with the even with jujitsu which i do every day every morning five days a week i a lot of times I'll get up and I'll be like, you know, I don't feel like getting choked today. It's just not, it's not like top on my list. But yeah. as soon as I get in there, like 20 minutes into it, I'm like, man, this is, this is really great. I'm feeling like super, I'm, I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling flat, fast, flexible. I'm feeling right. good about my life. And, you know, I get home and then the rest of the day is set. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it always it always feels better, you know, once you get into it. But it's not, I think, I think one of the take homes for me on that is that so, sometimes you play mental games with yourself and it will help. But other times you just have to do things just to maintain your consistency. Right. You know, sometimes you will be in the gym and it won't be an optimal day, but you just go in there so you don't skip a day. It, it's all consistency. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, since about five years ago when I quit drinking just for health reasons, I became very health conscious. Like I started focusing on paleo and how heavy my weight should be and how often I should do it and sleep and all those kind of things. The reason why I feel like feel so amazing today in terms of my physical health is that I've been consistent over five years. Yeah. And that consistency is at least four or five times a week exercising. And the way I stay consistent is that the benefits of working out consistently far outweigh um, you know, not, not, not doing it, For right? Sure. And I get addicted. It's not, a, it's not that I'm, I'm using the word addicted a little bit too flippantly because it, it assumes that I have an addictive personality. But I love feeling good all the time so much that I make consistent exercise a must. It's not a should, mm -hmm. it's a must, right? It's a non-negotiable. It's crazy. a non-negotiable. If there's an important business meeting, I'll skip it because or I won't skip it. I'll find another way to do you'll, it. You'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. But the non-negotiable is daily exercise. And because of that, I feel great. You know, so it's kind of like I was just you know, I have a YouTube channel, it's James Swanick, and last week I consistently put up a video every day. But then guess what? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it's now Wednesday. I haven't put up a video and I'm angry at myself because I haven't remained consistent. Yeah. And because of that, my viewer numbers don't go up. They just stay the same. Um, so I know, like, you have to be consistent with everything. Consistency is king. Thank you so much for listening to the New Wave Entrepreneur Podcast. I really appreciate your time. I do not take it for granted. And I want to let you know that if you're enjoying this show and you're really getting a lot from it, it goes deeper. Oh, yes, there's more. In case you haven't heard, we have an entire new platform called the New Wave Premium Membership. And this is essentially a, a, a new layer of content for members who really want to support the platform and get the most that they can from all the things that I've been teaching, all the guests I've been bringing on, and all the things that I've learned in entrepreneurship and life over the last you know decade or so. Um, 
If you join New Wave Premium Membership, you're going to get private essays and podcasts from me that I can't post here on Spotify or on iTunes, things where I go deeper behind the scenes with certain guests. I also have an entire archive of old shows that aren't online anymore with guests that you would really want to hear from. Um, I also put full-length courses and workshops up in a New Wave Premium Membership, and we do workshops every month or so. And I post all of these for new Wave Premium members to learn, whether it's on crypto or personal finance or sales and marketing or uh, or productivity, mental health, things like that. All these courses are inside of the new Wave Premium membership. We have a Discord server with uh, with a community of people that's that's growing pretty quickly. You know, really people who are on the same track of developing themselves, of improving their lives and businesses, and just building up. Building up a community of people who want to do shit, you know. Uh, I, I put out merch drops when I do it. These are fun things. I have VIP tickets and discounts on the workshops that we post. Um, so this is a great community of people who uh, are just looking to build. And and for listeners of the show, we're doing a dollar for the first month, and then it's twenty nine bucks a month after that. You can cancel whenever you want. So if you want to take advantage of that, you can go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash premium. And you can get your friends of the show pass. That's what we'll call it, the friends of the show pass. So that's newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash premium. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening. I love you. Thanks for surfing this new wave with me. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Let's get back to the show. So so that's, I'm curious now, when you were talking about for the past five years, really optimizing your health, what's going on with this, this no drinking thing? Like this is part of the the movement that you're creating. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to know what what this is, what this is about. Well, I was always just a social drinker. You know, I drank a few beers during the week, a bit more on the weekends. Sometimes I get drunk and it was a lot of fun. There was nothing too crazy. I was not an alcoholic, although everyone suspects that you are when you say you don't right, drink. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, everyone thinks that. Everyone's always like so suspect. Especially like, you being Australian, and there's stereotypes about Australians drinking a lot. Right, and, Yeah. right. And, and actually, last time I was in Vegas, I was hanging out with a bunch of Aussies and they fucking crushed it i mean oh. they're really good at drinking yeah we it's do drink a really lot as, like, as, a, as a nation as a culture yeah i don't know if that's everyone but damn yeah yeah we do we do we do drink a lot but look and i there were times when i drank a lot and there were yeah. times and it was fun as hell quite frankly <laughs> however i got to about 35 34 35 i'm 40 now and um you know i put on a bit of weight slowly but surely i'd got sick and tired of feeling sick and tired from hangovers I was sleeping in till 10 or 11 at night, oh, yeah. uh, in the morning rather. Um, my skin was really dry. I didn't. I just looked in the mirror and I was just felt really mediocre and average, like I was just existing in the world. That's almost worse than feeling bad. Feeling mediocre is almost worse. Yeah. Because it just means you're not really trying at all. Right. Yeah. So it was just. It wasn't like. It wasn't mm. like I was. My life sucks. It's so terrible. It was. I was just blah. Like yeah. a five out of ten. Oh. Right. And so. I took a 30-day break. Well, actually, what happened was is that I woke up with a hangover in Austin, Texas, right? I was at South by Southwest Festival, and I had two gin and tonics the night before only. It was free drinks from a bar. It was a party going on. I woke up, had this terrible hangover, um, and, I, and I went to have a hangover breakfast in an international house of pancakes, <laughs> the, the IHOP. The best place to do it. And uh, I went in there and I sat down. And in IHOP, they have photos of the food that you eat on the menu. It's delicious. And these big bright colors of like pancakes and maple syrup and eggs and bacon. And because I was hungover, I had a headache and I was tired. I was like, oh, that just looks horrendous. <laughs> and then I look over to the right. There's a guy who couldn't have been less than 500 pounds, right? And he's just tucking into this all-you-can-eat like pancakes. I'm looking out the window. There's a freeway on the right-hand side. It's dark and gloomy. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like... This is the pits, man. Like this sucks. And I was like, I got to change here. Cameron's like, laughing. I think this has happened to Cameron before. I'm pretty sure this is just life story. So I was like, I, you know what? I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to take a break from alcohol. I'm just going to yeah. see if I can do 30 days. I'm going to just go for 30 days, right? <laughs> and it was just to see if I could do it, you know. And so I just went so after seven days. I was like, damn, I'm sleeping pretty good here. I feel a lot clear, clear mind, a lot better. After 14 days, I said, wow, I think I've lost a little bit of weight here. Day 21, I started getting up earlier on a Saturday and Sunday, like 7 or 8 in the morning, started exercising, going to the gym. And after 30 days, I'd lost 13 pounds of fat That's in crazy. 30 days. And all I'd done was just stop drinking alcohol. But it wasn't the, just the not drinking alcohol. It was I wasn't eating the late night burger or fries or the kebabs because you know you, you do yeah, with alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I'd saved all this money and everything was just like, 
whoa, I feel pretty damn good right now. So I went, I'll see if I can do 40 days. Then I was like, wonder if I can do 50 days. Then after about 60 days, I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to hang out with a higher caliber of person now. I'm starting to have deeper conversations. Oh, my God, I'm still attracting women and I'm not drinking. (laughs) And not only am I attracting women, but I'm attracting like a higher caliber (laughs) of women. I see where you're going. I see what you did there. So I just kept going. I just kept going. And I I went for one year. I was back in Austin. I went into the Luster Pearl Bar on Rainy Street in Austin and I went and ordered a Budweiser. I'm like, I'm going to drink this damn beer. I'm going to celebrate one year without drinking. And I went to get the You're beer. You're going to celebrate one year without drinking with a drink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Right, to celebrate because I still equated the alcohol with celebration, right? Yeah. As society does. And I went to put it to my lips and I smelt it and it smelled bloody good. It really did. Like, smell. oh, that smells good. But something stopped me. I just put it back down. I slid it back over the table to the bar and I said, you know what? Give me water ice and a piece of lime instead. And I drank the water and I haven't touched a drop of alcohol since. And I feel amazing. Since then, I became a sports center anchor on ESPN. I achieved that lifelong goal. My that health was, has improved. I didn't know that the the ESPN sports center thing happened while you were in the transition of not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was one of the reasons. Like I'm convinced I wouldn't have got that job if I if I had still been drinking. Not that I was drinking a lot, but not drinking gave me so much more clarity clarity and so much more focus and so much more energy that when the opportunity to become a sports center anchor on ESPN presented itself, I went for it. I had clarity, Uh, energy, focus, and I just went, I am going to make this happen. And I did it. I wasn't waking up hungover like, oh, maybe I'll call that producer today. Or it's no big deal if I get it or if I don't get it. It was like, I'm making this happen. uh, That's really smart. do you find that it that in the beginning you were maybe lacking confidence because it's such a social crutch? I mean, massively. Yeah. I mean, drinking alcohol, it, people think they can't go out if they're not drinking. They think sure. they can't fit in if For they're sure. not drinking. They think they can't walk up to a pretty girl if you're a guy and, and if you're not drinking. So, yeah, I had those those doubts. But you know what? After like 30 days, after like doing it and after just getting used to going out, I realized it's all just in the brain. It's all a nonsense that you like. Like I have more fun now. I dance more. I sing more. I uh, have the most fun of most people at a party. Well, I have the most fun of anyone at a party, I should say, from not drinking. I'm pretty sure that your singing isn't as good without My drinking. singing sucks, quite frankly. <laughs> so you probably shouldn't listen to me sing at any time. But the point is, is that once you realize you don't need it, your whole world opens up. You save money. You have more energy. Your skin looks better. Here's a warning, okay? If you just quit drinking for 30 days, you will get better looking. I'm warning you. You will get better looking. <laughs> so I'm warning you out there. If you want to get better looking, okay, quit alcohol. Well, I mean- Or if you don't want to stay get better looking, just keep drinking alcohol because it shows up in your face, right? It's a poison, the toxins. It's true. And so you look weathered. You get crow's feet. The wrinkles in your forehead- um, start to be more pronounced. You just look old before your time. Well, you you look. I mean, it dries you up. It shrivels. Dries you up. You up yeah. Um, one thing that that I think even even for people who are going to drink, I think you massively underestimate the amount of water you need to replace what you're dehydrating yourself of. Right. Um, I don't drink a lot, but when I do drink, I load up water beforehand and afterhand. So mm-hmm. and, and afterwards. So and Sarah and I do this too, where we will if we're going to drink that night, we might drink a gallon of water first. Right. And then we might have our drinks, which is we'll have a few drinks, and then we'll just massively load the water afterwards. Right. And that, for me, has prevented any hangovers. I don't get hangovers anymore. And I, and I, in the past, I have experienced just the. I mean, have you ever woken up from a night of drinking and your whole your lips are just just yeah, tight, and chapped, yeah, like just dry, crusty face, yeah. and you're just like, yeah. oh, what's going on? I look yeah. miserable. Yeah, you know, I looked great last night, and I look miserable now. Yeah, and your breath just feels like dragon's it's breath, nasty. and it's just gross, man. Nasty. And you're like, your muscles are real sore, but it's not because you worked out. It's because you just feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's not a pleasant feeling. It's not. And the thing is, you can have so much fun the night before just by drinking water or non-alcoholic drink. Yeah. And then you, the beautiful thing is you wake up the next day and because you've been drinking water mostly, you're refreshed, you're hydrated, your skin looks good. You've got energy, you've got clarity, and then you can seize the day. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think, and I think that's uh, something that we were talking about before we started rolling was- uh, you get so wrapped up in the culture of needing to have a drink that you don't even get a choice as a young adult to decide if that's the best thing for you. 
Well, it's ingrained in you in your mind from from a very young age. It's like a rite of passage that yeah. when you turn eighteen, you you know, and here, in Australia, in Australia, <laughs> anyway, yeah, <laughs> have a beer, son. You know, yeah. there you go, mate. Have some, have you know, twenty first birthday party, drinks. Yeah, there's lots a of drinks, lots of drinks. Oh, there's a wedding, champagne, mm-hmm. romantic dinner. Oh, must have a bottle of wine, yeah. over can- candlelight. Now, this is all fine, right? But who ever said? that you need the bottle of wine to have a romantic candlelit dinner? Whoever said you need champagne to toast for celebration? Whoever said that you need alcohol to be to be part of a tribe? You do not need it. But it's ingrained in our society, it's ingrained in our culture by clever marketing companies who are always trying to, 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 to reinforce this idea that if you want to fit in and if you want to be part of a community and you want to have pleasure and fun in your life, then you must be drinking alcohol. But I challenge that. You can have fun. You can create pleasure. You can have amazing experiences without the alcohol. There's a billboard up on Sunset Boulevard at the moment. George Clooney has released a tequila brand. And oh. he's there on a motorcycle. He's got a black leather jacket and he's looking really cool. Badass. And, and you look at this. I'm studying this billboard. I'm looking at it going, so what that billboard is essentially telling you is that if you want to be cool, like George Clooney, ride a motorcycle and be rock and roll and just be handsome and have your shit together, then you should be drinking this tequila. But why the hell do you need the tequila to be wear a black leather jacket and ride a mo- motorcycle and be cool? You don't need it. Psychology, but man, just links them together. That's the psychology, you know? It's the same thing with like pool parties, you know, hotels in Vegas trying to get you to come and stay at the hotel. You got girls in bikinis with uh, glasses of champagne oh, yeah. or wine. You've got guys with beers, young, attractive people standing around, imagery of them drinking, right? Having a good time as, as if to suggest, well, if you want to have a good time, you have to drink. You don't need it. I've been having a, a great time for five and a half years with girls in bikinis <laughs> with, while sipping on water. They probably thought it was vodka sometimes. No, nah, I mean, sometimes they do, but sometimes, you know, most of the time they're like, oh, you don't drink. Oh. Some people go, oh, you're an alcoholic. Other people like really tell me about it. And other people are like, huh? I don't care. Whatever. They I really don't, don't care. Yeah. Now, now here's a here's a question that I'm wondering: Is there any value in having like an altered state? Alcohol makes things a little bit funnier. You get a little bit happier. Is there any value in feeling like that? Is there any value in feeling the, what you feel when you drink alcohol? Yeah, the good stuff. Okay, so the good stuff that you are alluding to is temporary pleasure, right? And right. here's the thing. It's not even pleasure. I'm going to explain this. Just give me one minute to explain this, right? So when you drink alcohol, you get you think that you get this 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 pleasure, but all it is is relieving you of your withdrawal. Mm. So let me let me not try and explain this. Alcohol is a poison, right? It's a toxin, right? When you drink that regularly, even if you're just a social drinker, okay? Your body then craves more of it because it is a poison. It's a toxin, right? It's a drug. Your body craves more of that drug. So when at the end of the day, when you're tired and you're like, oh, I would really do with a beer, I'd love to smash a beer right now. It's not because the beer makes you feel good. It's because you're trying to relieve yourself of not feeling good and you want that beer to relieve your craving for the beer. So then when you drink it, you're like, oh, you get this temporary kind of little boost and you go, oh, right. And now you think that the beer tastes good. You think the beer gives pleasure. But it's all it's doing is just relieving you of your withdrawal, relieving you of your craving. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So- People who never drink or people who've quit or reduced, they don't have that craving. They don't have that need for pleasure because they don't have the drug in their system. It's not, it's not calling them to drink. Um, the, uh, let me tell you this. Five and a half years I haven't drunk. I've had more pleasure physically, emotionally, partying, going out there, not drinking than I, than I had in the 10 years before drinking. I had some great times drinking. It was fun. I'm not saying give up drinking forever. I'm just saying reduce or quit for 30 days. See how amazing you feel. And then, you know, choose what you want to do after that. It's a good point. Uh, I don't know if you know Ryan Holiday. He's a writer. Yeah, sure. The obstacle is the way. Yeah. 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 He, made a good, he made a good point uh, that he said, because he, he also doesn't drink for yeah. similar reasons. Yeah. And um, he made a good point where he said that if you look at it objectively, alcohol doesn't taste good. I mean- I mean, think about the first sip you ever had, Daniel. Do you oh, remember it? Horrible. Hated it. See, look how your body just recoiled there when you yeah. imagined it, right? It's miserable. It does not taste good. Same way with coffee. Now I love it. There you go. It <laughs> I need it. <laughs> it doesn't taste good the first time. Yeah, right? Like it's actually, it's a foreign substance that, that we shouldn't be drinking. It's gross. Right? It's gross. 
But what happens is because it's a drug, we build up a tolerance for it. Our body starts to crave it because as the drug leaves the system, it leaves you wanting more of the drug to satisfy yeah. it, right? And so then it just becomes like, oh, great. Oh, wonderful. I mean, have you really, have you drunk scotch straight? It's disgusting. It's terrible. It's terrible. But you see all these people drinking it and going, oh, yeah, it's beautiful because all it's doing is relieving them of the craving. Yeah. I'll tell you one other thing, this, which is fascinating. Did you know that it takes four to four and a half minutes for the brain even to register that you've had alcohol? So if you drink a sip of it or have a glass or whatever, you're on the clock four and a half minutes before the brain even recognizes that you've just had alcohol. That's how long it takes to go to the system. So all these people who are like, oh my God, I need a drink. And they take a big sip and they put it in and they go, oh, oh I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah. It's a massive placebo it's effect. It's mental. It's all mental. It's all mental yeah. because the brain doesn't know that you've had the alcohol. It takes four and a half minutes. Yeah. All these people are like, oh yeah, I need a drink, I need a drink. Oh, now it's the I same thing relax. with caffeine. You know, I will drink one sip and be like, I'm up, I'm alert. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't work like that. No. You know, it's 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 like a bloodstream yeah. system issue where you, you need a few minutes for it to work in. But as soon as I taste the bitter coffee in my mouth, I associate it with feeling alert. Yeah. And then my brain produces the effect of feeling alert. Right. You know, which is interesting, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, the more I study health and psychology and things like that, the more I realize everything that we think is right is wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. everything that we've been told has been ingrained into our head about culture and stuff is wrong. It's, it really is. It's like, I remember growing up in Australia, 18th birthday party, get a whole lot of beer, 4X beer, drink, get drunk, throw up. I remember throwing up on my 18th birthday party from drinking half a bottle of Zambuca. <laughs> you know that li licorice thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I remember I was wearing my Bon Jovi t-shirt at oh the time. Oh, my God. I'm vomiting all over myself. I remember my mother standing on top of the stairs of the house where I was having it, watching her son vomit into the <laughs> over himself and into the bushes saying, oh, proud. James, oh, James. You know, like, like what? Mom's so proud. <laughs> but what is the point of it? Like, what's the point? I didn't have a, a good time, but everyone's like, yeah, James threw up. Well done, mate. Yeah, good on you. Well, all right. Oh, and then the next day I was like, James was sick last night. All right. What a great party. No, it wasn't. It was shit house. <laughs> and I was vomiting all over, all over my Bon Jovi shirt, which I loved. <laughs> I love that shirt now. But like society says, that's what you should do. That's true. You know, if you look at, if you, if you zoom out too and you look at society and you just, we're kind of just little, little, little apes, man, we're little ants. And we kind of just, if you look at it, look at us objectively, we're pretty like, we're pretty, we're pretty ritualistic and we're pretty like, we don't really always pay attention to what we're doing. We kind of just do things without. We're sheep. Yeah. Without thinking why we're doing them. Right. Because know? the rest of the herd, if we're a sheep is we just follow the rest of the herd. Yeah. You know, even like the courting process in America, it's like the how you date someone here. You invite them out, you pick up the girl, you take them to dinner, and you sit opposite one another. That's a very ritualized courting process, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Is it different from Australia? In Australia, it's more relaxed and chilled, and you, you don't. It's not so much you're sitting across having dinner. You might go for a walk, or you might do an activity together. Whereas here, it's very much like um, the, the girls, the prize, and there's this whole kind of like ceremonial thing where you. You ask them out and then you pick them up and then you sit them down and then you have the interrogation interview, yeah. you know, where you're facing one another in an adversarial kind of- Yeah, tell know. me about your family and, yeah. you know. And so that's a culture. Like, that's a cultural that's thing. That's interesting. You know, it's- um, And even, even you know, even down to the fact that, you know, a, a man should be the one courting a woman is, still, is a cultural thing as right, well, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it's inherently in our, in our, in our brains- uh, I like it that way, by the way. I'm not challenging that, but I'm just using it. I'd like to be the one who's pursuing and chasing, but I'm just illustrating the point that um, th these things don't naturally come to us. Like culture and society and trends dictate our behavior. But you really have to look at does your behavior serve you? Yeah, you know, really Is it really serving you? And then you've got to be strong enough to break free from societal pressure, break free from the herd and really you know, forge your own path. This is something I talked about with Mark. Um, and it's a good place to kind of tie it all up, talking about self-awareness. Mm -hmm. um, self-awareness is probably one of the most valuable traits that you can develop. And it doesn't come overnight. You have to work at developing your self-awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's uh, maybe an insight that you've learned over the past few years uh, that you could uh, tell our viewers about becoming more self-aware? How can we become more self-aware? Well, I actually took my first psychotherapy uh, lesson last week, and nice. I'm going to be doing my second one t tomorrow. Psychotherapy is just one form of uh, like a psychiatrist, if you like, 
they can't prescribe medication, but you just, you know, you talk to someone, just have a, have a conversation. That was really therapeutic, I have to say, just in one hour. And all she really did, this, this, this woman, was ask me questions. She didn't really comment on it. She just asked me questions. But the questions that she asked me brought up certain answers, which made me think in a certain way. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone should go and do psychotherapy. What I am saying is the quality of under- your ability to understand yourself comes down to the quality of the questions that you ask yourself or somebody else asks yourself. Okay. So, for example, um, you know, if you write down on a piece of paper, you know, what are my strengths? What, am I, what, what do I love about myself? And you write down, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm handsome, I'm fit, I'm creative, I'm intelligent, I'm such and such. Like, you will feel amazing about yourself if you believe that stuff. If you say any of those words and you don't believe it, well, you've just got amazing insight into your life, right? And now you can go and work on that. Um, Likewise, if you're in a problem in your life, like, oh my God, I'm not making enough money. I'm only making like $15 an hour or 20 grand a year. I can't support my kids or I can't, can't get this business going. You can sit there and ask yourself one question, which is why? Why is this happening? Why is this not working? Or you can be a master questioner and ask yourself, who am I going to reach out to for advice? Uh, what am I going to do right now in this moment to get out of the situation? How am I going to get out of this situation? When am I going to do it? This is very forceful. Well, I'm trying to make the point. Like it's, <laughs> But like if you just sit down with a whiteboard or a pen and paper and you just go, who, what, how, and when? Just ask yourself those four questions. Um. The answer comes to you, like the answer out of any situation comes to you. And all you need to do is just ask yourself those questions, right? So becoming coming back to being self-aware, ask yourself the questions like, what am I doing currently that's getting me this result? What do I have to do to change this result? How many times am I going to do it? Who am I going to talk to? And then maybe have someone else, you know, ask, reach out to people and say, hey, what are three of my strengths and what are three of my weaknesses? Let's play, let's do the game right now. I'll I'll do it to you, Daniel. Okay. All right. So so let's start with the positive, right? Oh. What are three things? Brag about yourself for a second here. Like try and and you know call it like a all right. brag Wednesday. What's three things that you admire about yourself? Three things I admire about myself. Um, uh, I'm a very consistent person. So once I commit to doing something, I'm really good at doing it, even when I don't want to. Right. So I'm very good at that. I'm very good at at motivating other people. You know, so I can like I can get. A vision that I have and then get other people to also see that vision and then mm-hmm. push that forward, whether it's for a business or for a personal reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm really good at um, – uh, I'm really good at um, at trying to trying to go against the grain of, of trends. So I can look at something and say, I don't like it like that, but I can think of a better way to do it. And then I can actually have success with that model. Right. So I'm very good at that. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Okay. So now you're, you're becoming even more self-aware, right? Right. And now you've put it out publicly. You've said it to me. You've said it to your listeners and the viewers and the people in the room, right? I'm sure that was a little bit awkward. Wasn't and you it? on Periscope. <laughs> so now, you're, you're, now you've got those three things, right? So yep. they're great, three great strengths that you've verbalized and now you can build on those strengths, right? So if I was to ask you like uh, what – do you consider three three weaknesses okay. of yours? What are three weaknesses of yours? Attention to detail. Okay. Um, I I tend not to care too much about small details. I just think big picture a lot of times. So I don't, you know, things like grammar. I'm I'm pretty good at that stuff, but I don't I don't I don't get things perfect. Okay. So I need to have people help me with that. Okay. Timeliness. Timeliness. Okay. Man, fifteen minutes late for everything. Okay. I blame my mother. Okay. <laughs> uh, and um. Oh, it's another one. It can be pretty selfish at times. Selfish, pretty selfish. Yeah, and then and then I'll I'll use my own psychology to say that it's the best for people around me, but it's really for me. Okay, you know. Okay, thank you for being honest. Let's just let's deal with the second one just as an example, as a simple case. You're late, right? You're right. you're always late. Okay, so let's do become a master questioner, right? Let's go how, what, who, and when. Okay. So how are you going to improve improve this this lateness? Well, let's start with the what. What yeah. what can you do to improve your tardiness? I can. So if I'm if I'm trying to arrive somewhere at a specific mm-hmm. time, um, there are two there are two clocks that I have in my head. One is the clock that is the is the supposed amount of time it will take, whether it's a Google Map or yeah. I'm just routing it in my head. Uh-huh. Another is the clock that 
I how much time I really know it's going to take. Okay. And in order to sometimes delay having to leave or stop whatever I'm doing, I will ignore the clock that I know it's really going to take and I'll leave. And then, this is interesting, and then I will get mad at Google or traffic or anything else because it's supposed to only have taken 20 minutes. Look at the map. That's what it says. I can't believe it took me 45 minutes. Instinctively, you knew it was going to take longer. I knew it was going to take longer, okay. but then I will purposely delay leaving or stopping because, and then I'll, then I'll say, well, if I'm late, I'll just blame it on traffic. So what could you do to change that? I mean, I think I have to start listening to my first, my the first inkling that I have. And also trying to stop the, let, let's say I have to meet somewhere at noon. Why do I have to arrive right at 12 o'clock? Why can't I arrive at 1145? Okay. So that's good. So you've got some ideas. You've got some insight, right? Yeah. Now, what are you going to do to ensure that that happens next uh, time? There's a few things. One, um, knowing my own psychology, put some padding around times. So if I see a time like 1130, yeah. for me in my head, I should start thinking 11 o'clock. Okay. You know? So changing changing my own time frames. And then the second one is I have this weird thing where like I, like if I'm getting ready to go somewhere, you're really digging into my, I haven't thought about this a lot. If I'm, if I'm getting ready to go somewhere, I think maybe it's like an avoidance thing where if I have to be somewhere at 12 and it's 1130 mm -hmm. and I should be walking out the door right now, I'll see a dish or something in my house that needs to be like straightened up. And I'll be like, let me just go straighten that up real fast. I can mm -hmm. just, I don't want to come back to a dirty house. Let me just straighten that up. And I'll spend 10 to 15 minutes straightening up that dish and then I'm in a rush. Yeah. Fuck. Right. So I need to not be distracted by the little things because I think that there's like some sort of avoidance or resistance to, mm -hmm. to doing activities and and, and I try to distract myself with other things. Okay. So who are you going to get to hold you accountable on this? Or who can you talk to about further on this? Or who can hold you accountable on this? I, th I think it has to be my girlfriend because she's living with me 24-7 and she sees me do this and she points it out. Okay. She's so what conversation are you going to have with your girlfriend? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> uh, I think I just need to tell her like, look, I'm we're, we're not going to be late because of this mental block I'm having anymore. So when we're getting ready to go somewhere... Don't let me be distracted because she'll even do this thing now where I'll say, all right, babe, we're getting ready to go. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting ready to go right now. We're getting ready to go. And she'll go put on her shoes and she'll be at the door. And then she'll see me doing other stuff. She'll sit down to be like, I'll just wait. And while I'm running around, like picking up clothes and doing stuff, she's like, are we going to go? What are you doing? So at that point, she needs to be like, you're not, you're not putting that away. You're going. We're going right now. Okay. So you're going to have a conversation with her. When are you going to have a conversation with her about this? Can you text her, Daniel? <laughs> when I get home. Okay. Have to. What time do you get home today? Fuck, man, you're really getting specific here. Uh, well, specific, like you cannot hit a target you don't see, yeah, right? I'm gonna. So we're good, but we got to get specific. I'll be home at six thirty tonight. Uh, so that's what time you'll be home. But what time will you have the conversation Fuck, with man. her? Uh, I mean, she uh, seven. At seven o'clock. Yeah. Okay, and then at seven thirty, who are you going to text to tell that you had the conversation with her? James Swanick. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so Fuck. so now we've gone from okay. Now you're self-aware, right? Oh, it's too... I don't like it. It feels creepy. Okay. Well, sorry. I didn't mean the... No <laughs> we'll call it. Back. We'll call it. <laughs> no worries at all. It feels so... It feels, I feel too vulnerable and aware. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You, you've, you've just become self-aware yeah. by asking... By becoming a master questioner. A master questioner. And all you did was say three things that you're good at and three things that you were not good at, right? Now, I chose the second one, but you, yeah. there's no reason why you can't go through all those questions or the three good things and the three not so good things, excuse me, and then ask yourself questions. What's the problem? What am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to about it? When or how am I going to do it? And when am I going to do it? So you might, you might completely change, eliminate your tidiness starting seven o'clock tonight just by asking yourself those questions. I love it. Um, James, where can we learn more about you and the 30 day Noah call challenge? Yeah. Well, you can follow me on uh, Instagram and social media at James Swanick, J A M E S S W A N W I C K. Uh, 30 day, no alcohol challenge is 30 day, no alcohol challenge.com. That was available. Wow. That's a good name. You like that? Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. And if you want to grab these glasses or check them out, Swanick sleep. Dot com. But yeah, I'm all over social media at James Swanick. But uh, can you can you spell Swanick? Yeah, S W A N W I C K. Come on. There you go. So I'm I'm wondering. You you tell me you tell me now. Should I continue to to say my name as James Swanick, which is how you pronounce it? Yeah. Or in in America, what I found is that Americans don't understand the silent W. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should I say my name is James Swanwick? 
I mean, it's a very Australian English thing to have the silent W, like Warwick, for example, is yeah, spelled W A W W A R W I C K. But ever since I came to this beautiful country in 2002, nobody understands the silent W. I mean, look, man, I I see the value in repronouncing it or purposely mispronouncing it for Americans, but I would feel bad about it as you. If I were you, I'd feel bad about pronouncing it as Swanwick. I would hate that. I would hate myself. Yeah. It's like if I had to say, you know, um had to call myself De pizza, even though that's not how it's spelled. Sure. You know, people love to call me De pizza. Should I just change my name now? Well, Topher Grace, the actor, his name's Christopher Grace. Uh, Tom Cruise's name is not Tom Cruise, it's something else. You know, like Le- It's not Tom Cruise? No. Fuck, it's something really? else. I can't remember what it is. John Le- Wayne's John Wayne's Leonardo name. DiCaprio is Leonardo DiCaprio. But there's a couple of the other people who've changed John Wayne is like uh it's like it was like some some it was some more feminine name. Do you remember what it was, Cameron? It was like uh Leslie or I don't know, whatever. I'm just going to keep calling you legend. Yeah, legend. Legend.com is taken, but <laughs> rich20something.com isn't. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode with uh, James Swanick. James is an awesome dude. And in fact, the the beauty of me doing the Storeback episodes is that they're just uh, helping me to just connect with my friends again. And so I, I called up James or I texted him the other day. And I was like, hey, man, let's get on the phone. Let's chat. Uh, and it's reminding me that, you know, the most important connections that you can have are those uh, who the relationships that you formed and the mutual bonds that you've, you know, that you formed with people who you've, um, you know, you've shared time with and who you have a, a similar mindset with, who you're both looking to improve your lives and to grow together. And James is certainly one of, one of those guys. And I hope that you can find some of those people in your life as well. Building a community around yourself is so important. And I highly encourage you to engage with the new wave community. You know, we have a really great group of people who are doing some fantastic work. Uh, we have professionals in all types of fields, entrepreneurs, people with nine to fives, people who are looking to start side hustles. But what we have in common is that we see the new wave is coming. We're looking to be prepared. We're involved in developing our financial uh, intelligence, understanding the new wave of financial technology and, uh, and crypto. We're looking to protect ourselves. We're learning martial arts. We're developing plans for protecting our homes. You know, not out of a sense of fear, just out of a sense of preparation and responsibility. We're learning about emotional stability. We're learning about emotional, you know, resilience. We're, um, we're developing psychological uh, health strategies. We're even trying psychedelics, you know, as parts of our uh, remedy. We're, we're using meditation as a tool. All of these things are part of the new wave. So if you're into that, I love it. If you like it, I love it. You can go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to hear uh, all the updates on this community and what we're, what we're all about. If you want to be part of the inside group, make sure you hit newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash premium. That's where I'm dropping insider stuff like behind the scenes podcasts, uh, essays, and all that cool stuff. And of course, Make sure you are subscribed on any platform uh, that you're listening to so that we can get those numbers up. we got to pump this up, baby. we got to get this community shining. So uh, leave a comment when you can. Leave a, uh, a review when you can. It really helps it out. All right. Much love, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So jump on in. It's time to surf that new wave.